So we've been talking about how we walk in the Spirit, because walking in the Spirit is how do we, how do we relate to each other, how do we deal with each other. Uh, and we talked last week about we walk in the Spirit by, by a dependence upon God. It's recognizing our weakness. It's depending upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, just as we're saved by faith, we're not saved by any action that we do. We're saved by faith in the complete work of Christ on the cross. We're saved by faith. It's a gift of God, that not of ourselves. So we're saved by faith. Just as we're saved by faith, we walk in the Spirit by faith, by a divine enablement. Just as the Spirit does the work in saving you, only the Spirit can do the work in keeping you saved or helping you walk in the salvation that you have. Uh, so Paul is writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians are in the midst of a struggle. And so a lot of this letter is about this struggle, about how they're struggling with legalism. The Judaizers have come from Jerusalem, and they're trying to say, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to also keep the Old Testament law. So Paul is saying, no, that's not the gospel. That's another gospel. And I want you to reject that. That's not the true gospel. But at the same time, he's wanting them to, to love each other. So they've got, they're a church that's in, uh, has some division because they've got different belief systems that are operating within the church. So he's wanting them to operate in the fruit of the spirit. He's wanting them to, to be who they are as Christians. To operate in the fruit of the spirit is not anything exceptional. It's who we are called to be as Christians. It, it is the characteristics and the nature of Christ reveal through us. And it is, it is God's desire for us to walk in that. So they have this doctrinal issue that is dividing them and destroying the Galatian churches. The Galatian, when it talks about Galatian, it's an area. It's not necessarily a town. It's the whole area of Galatia, uh, Philippians, that area, all of this area is part that are, they're going to read this letter. And so Paul doesn't say to them, it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you get along. Some would say that today. They would say, you know, we just have to, you know, different people believe different stuff and just have to, you know, just get along with them. But the reality is he wanted them to believe the right thing and get along. He, he said very strongly, he said, if anybody, even an angel or even myself comes at and preaches to you a gospel other than the one you receive, that is, salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, either than that gospel. If someone comes and preaches you another gospel, he says, let those people be accursed. He said, even if it's me. So he, he, he did want them to believe the right thing, but he also wanted them to love each other. He didn't, in the midst of this difficulty, want them to bite and to devour one another. So he emphasized to them how important it is that they be filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And I know some of you are thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about circumcision again. And uh, we, <laughs> we, we had an interesting thing that happened. We got a... Uh, <clears throat> we got... We got a, a text from a parent, and uh, the craft that they had done in the, in the nursery areas <laughs> was, a, was a cutout of, of, because it was Pentecost Sunday last Sunday, so it was a cutout of, of tongues of fire. 
And so the child had colored that in red. So the parent said, did the children get a lesson on circumcision also? (laughs) And no, they did not. They did not. It just... uh, it just appeared that way. So, uh, moving on. <laughs> what counts? So he says, circumcision nor not circumcision doesn't count, doesn't matter, but faith working in love. So we want our faith to work. We want to have faith. We want to do everything that we do in love. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, and we've talked about what is the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. So he's saying, don't walk in the flesh. And so the flesh, here's I think a good way to describe the flesh. The flesh is the I want, the I need, the I feel part of our nature, which, which we kind of try to say then, if I want and I need and I feel, then you ought to. So this is how our flesh is manifest. So he says, so instead of serving your I want, I need, and I feel, I want you to instead serve one another. Then John Piper said this, we love other people and we stop using them as a means to supply our deficiencies and instead rejoice in the divine enablement for us to supply their deficiencies. Or when we love people, we don't use them to meet our needs. We serve them to meet their needs. And it's really one of the ways that you realize when you're really in love. Because you kind of start out in lust. Right? You fall in love with the exterior of the person. You are attracted physically to the other person. And then you might like who they are as a person, but you still don't really know them. And then you might get married. And then you realize, this this is not who I thought they was. And so then you have to learn really how to love someone who is vastly different than you and vastly different than you thought they were. I mean, not that they were being deceptive. They were being deceptive, but you were too. So we learn that we have to love each other in our weaknesses, not in our strength. We showed all of our strengths and we hid all of our weaknesses. Has everybody got weaknesses? Yeah. So then when we get married, our weaknesses just end up being on display, you know. And so (laughs) I just turned my, I don't know how I turned it off. All right, there we go. It's like, I don't even know what I'm thinking if I don't have anything to think. So this divine supply Enablement to meet their deficiencies. It's how the fruit of the Spirit works in our relationships. Galatians 5.16. But I say walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? A step at the time. Depending upon the Holy Spirit to give you the power and strength to do God's will in your life. And you will not carry out 
the desire of the flesh. I will, I think, I want. What I want, what I will, what I desire. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. So then he begins to describe some of the things that the flesh, this want, I feel, I need, says to us, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These are works of the flesh. Immorality is usually translated in the Bible fornication. Uh, it comes, the Greek word is porneia, which you would recognize in the word pornography. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really a broad term for sexual sin. Sexual activity that goes against the will of God. Uh, impurity is a broad term. Uh, licentiousness is another way to say that. And uh, we don't know that word either. So uh, it's moral uncleanness. It's just living immorally. Uh, sensuality is open, shameless, brazen display. Think of Mardi Gras. Just uh, revelry. Revelry and sin. Celebrating sin. Uh, now, so he says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. He said, these sexual sins are evident. These are deeds of the flesh. Uh, and here's the reality. No matter how common they are in our culture, because our culture has shifted, right? Everything goes in our culture. Uh, no matter how normal it seems to be, no matter how normal it may be in your own personal experience, sexual sin is never going to be okay with God. He's not changing his mind on it. It wasn't like an optional thing that he came up with. Uh, God's not against sex at all. He wants you to have the best sex of your life. But the best sex of your life is going to be sex in your marriage. And... He wants you to use your sexuality for the glory of God, not for the glory of your flesh in the moment or two moments. Depending on. <coughs> he wants you to use your sexuality to build and secure your marriage. There's, there's reasons for sex. God created us with, with a divine desire. He created us as sexual beings. He made stuff work the way it works. He made sex feel good. It doesn't surprise God. Right? But he wants us to keep the fire in the fireplace and not burn the house down. So there's a, there's a divine purpose, and God wants us to operate within a divine purpose. The second thing is idolatry and sorcery. So we think in idolatry. Idolatry is bowing to and worshiping pagan gods. We think, well, I don't do that. But uh, the Bible also describes greed as idolatry. That when you, when you love money it's, and put it before loving God, then it's idolatry. Actually, anything that you're putting before God, people, activity, I would say, I'm not going to go into a great deal about this because I've talked about this a lot and I don't want to pick on people, but in our culture today, 
one of our biggest idols is sports. Dun dun. Okay. Dun dun dun. So, so we have to. We, I'm saying, sports bad? No, sports is not a bad thing. But it just becomes so all encompassing. It's like it becomes the definer of life. It's like you 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 have to be involved in everything that they do. So. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It, it can be great. It can, it can teach you sportsmanship. It used to be a great tool for teaching sportsmanship. But somewhere along the way, winning became more important than everything else in every level. In, in T-ball, where the, the kids that are participating in T-ball, their main goal is, what are the snacks? The only, by, only person that's pushing for a win are the parents. I mean, they're thinking, man, how, do we have to get three outs? Because I'm really ready for some Kool-Aid. But, so we have to just have to be careful. We, we, so many things, so many activities, we as adults will push onto our children because it fulfills us. Not because it's meeting a desire that they have. And they will participate and act excited about it because they, I don't know if you know this about kids, but they want to please you until they don't. But, you know, they do for a while. So we have to be careful. I'm just saying those kinds of things can become idols for us. Not that we're worshiping them, but that they become the most important thing. We schedule our lives around those things. And you should schedule your life around more important things. You should schedule your life around God and your family. So, idolatry. And this was, I mean, to the Galatians, this was right on their doorstep. They had, they had the, the, the Romans had taken the Greek gods and given them new names, but it was the same, it was the same old gods that the Greeks had worshipped. Now the Romans are worshipping those same gods. And they had temples, and they also worshipped the emperor. Caesar worship was a big part of, of the, they had to worship the emperor it's, you know, it's kind of like if you don't worship the emperor, you know, you're not going to get that uh, approval for your building permit. If you don't worship the emperor, uh, you're not going to open that business. You know, you wanted that, that spot along the promenade where you were going to open your business. But, you know, you haven't been going to, to uh, emperor worship lately and you haven't paid enough emperor worship taxes. So you're, you're not getting it. So... It was, you know, you can see it's tied into their livelihood. They're, so they're struggling. This is a reality. They're struggling. And, the, and Paul is saying, you need to cut that tie and count the cost. That's hard. You need to, you need to cut that tie to that idolatry. And so sometimes we have, there's a, the world is calling us to compromise. And a lot of places in the world, uh, it's hard to do business if you're not willing to bribe the people that you do business with. Places like India, uh, I think Mexico, 
There's, it's virtually, virtually everywhere in the world, a lot of places in the world, if you want to carry on business. So a lot of people establish pattern. Listen, we're going to do this. We're, going to do it with, we're not going to pay any bribes. We're not doing any bribes. And so they, there's a cost associated with that in their project and be able to fulfill their project because they can't move forward. It's hard for them to move forward. And so they're moving forward on principle, often by conviction of God that, hey, we, we can't perpetuate this system. We've got to, we have to stand in faith and trust God. And so we have to, we have to often stand against idolatry. It's looking, it's looking to God, looking to other sources than God for light and life. Then there's sorcery, you think. We don't have that. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but witchcraft is, is making a big rise lately. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about witchcraft lately. Uh, sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakeia. Because drugs were used to create trances and to invoke demons and the stars uh, with the purpose to determine the future and to control people and outcomes. So they use witchcraft to try to control other people and to try to get what they wanted. So Paul is saying, don't participate in that because it's, it's, it's of the flesh. The nearest that we have today is uh, the horoscope. And it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's in, you know, it used to be in the newspaper. Now it's online. So you can read, easily read your horoscope online. Or, and you say, well, what's the harm in it? I, I've heard this a lot. There's no harm in it. The harm in it is that it's an invitation of the enemy to bring fear and control into your life. Do you want the enemy of your soul directing your life? No. Do you want to give him permission to introduce fear? fear into your life. No, it's, it's, it'd be foolish to do that, to, to say to the enemy of your soul, listen, come in here and tell me stuff that's going to make me fearful about tomorrow and concerned about tomorrow. Why would you consult the devil about tomorrow when he doesn't know the future? He doesn't know. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7, it says this, But we speak God's wisdom in the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You think they'd have put Jesus on the cross if they realized that on the cross he was purchasing our salvation? They didn't didn't get it. You know, everybody talks, well, I'm going to go to hell because, you know, hell's going to be one big party. There was a party in hell. One time. Three days. It came to a very abrupt end. When all of a sudden, the Son of God rose from the dead and defeated them all. And they couldn't stop it. And they couldn't hold him back. And the Bible tells us now that hell is not a party. It wasn't just that short brief time, but it's separation from the presence of God. It's not a party, it's separation. From everything good and glorious. Jesus said this, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How do you take care of tomorrow? Trust Jesus. (laughs) Take care of business today. Take care of today. Do the job you got today. 
Trust Jesus for tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? God. Trust him. Verse 20, enmities, which is hatred. Strife is a love of quarreling and contention. Jealousy is anger over what others have that you don't have. Uh, outburst of anger, to be greatly offended and express it with an out-of-control anger. Uh, disputes is mercenary self-interest. Dissensions is to tear apart, to tear groups of people apart. Uh, factions, dividing people. Envying. Envying is a pain that is felt and a malignancy conceived at the sight of someone else's excellence or happiness. Drunkenness and carousing. Now Paul is speaking directly to part of the worship in those days that they worshiped Bacchus, Dionysus in the Greek. And these were days that were just committed to drunkenness. Days that were, in other words, festivals that were committed to drunkenness. Like we have taken St. Patrick's Day and make it a day about drinking green beer. Or Cinco de Mayo. Mayo? Mayo. Mayo. Why do you say it? Will I am? Sink it to Mayo. <laughs> a sink with mayo in it is totally different. Uh, but but that's, not a real, that's not a real holiday. You know that. That's a made-up drinking holiday. We got a lot of that. Making up holiday. He says, so he says, drunkenness and carousing. And things like, so then he's saying, listen, you know there's a lot of other stuff like that. He doesn't make, you know, he doesn't just, he's like, I know you're getting tired of the list. But, but a lot of other things like that, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the work of the flesh, now this has to do with your, our relationship with God and our relationship with people, and the work of the flesh has a lot of things to do with things that destroy our relationships with other people. It's not love. Paul is saying, faith works in love. Love one, through love, serve one another. He said, when you operate in the flesh, when the I want, I feel, I need, when you operate in that, then you, you operate in the flesh then you destroy one another. How many relationships have been destroyed by immorality? How many marriages have been destroyed by immorality? How many marriages? How many lives have been destroyed by drunkenness? A person who gets drunk doesn't intend to end up being, being a drunk. But it's often the path where alcohol ends up controlling their lives. But that wasn't, their, that wasn't their intention. Their intention was to drink. Their intention was to, they enjoyed drinking. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. The Bible says don't get drunk. Because getting drunk is depending upon the world's spirit to solve your problems instead of depending upon God to solve your problems. Thank you for that. Uh, amen, Mike. Everybody else was just really thinking. So here's how Jesus wants you to deal with sin. Here's what Jesus said. This is how you do it. He said, so, he says, so if you practice these things, 
you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. So he said, you can't go to heaven and do these things. Now, what does this mean? Can people do these things and go to heaven? Well, he says you can't. What does he mean? He's saying that you can't habitually live this life and be a part of the kingdom of God. Because here's the reality. Everybody in here sins. But because you're a believer, there's something happens when you sin. The Holy Spirit says to you on the inside, you know it. The Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, uh-uh. You can't have that attitude. You can't be jealous like that. Don't be envious. What, what are you so angry about? The Holy Spirit convicts us. We have the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us, and so it leads us, it helps us to deal with our sin. We don't habitually, unrepentantly do the same things. What, so what, he, what Paul is saying, if you do those things and are unrepentant, what it may show is that you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. A lot of people grow up in the church and they have churchianity and they don't have Christ. And so they've learned a behavior, but they haven't learned how to walk in Christ. And so Christ wants to help us deal with these things of the flesh. Here's how Jesus wants you to deal with sin. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, we all sin at times. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you sin... I'm writing this to you. Listen, don't sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Why is confession important? Because bringing sin to light breaks their power. The enemy loves darkness. He wants you to feel like you're the only one that is struggling. Now, what this text tells us is that all of us struggle at different times with different things. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The way out of our sins is to ask the Lord for help. Say, Lord, I, I, I've sinned again. But I realize your sacrifice is complete. I don't want to live in my sin. I want to live in your righteousness. I don't want to wallow in this moment of defeat. I want to live in your victory over the cross, by the cross, through the cross, over my sin. So, Lord, I'm going to bring it to you and say, Lord, I've messed up again. And it's not that the, the, the salvation at... at that the work of the cross was not sufficient. It's, it's not that if you died with a sin on your plate that you're going to hell because you won't. 
But confession is one of the tools that God wants you to use, confessing your sins to God. And sometimes, the Bible says, to one another, that you may be healed. So, bringing sin to the light breaks the power of sin. So now, I've got five minutes to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. That was kind of the introduction. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, they were the works of the flesh. They were individual works of the flesh. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And we tend to look at this and read this as nine different fruits, but it's not. It's one fruit. It's one fruit of the Spirit. And if we're not careful, we make the mistake of taking away the, the Ten Commandments and say, well, we're not, we don't want to live by the law. We're, we don't have to be circumcised. We're, we're dead to the law. Now we're living by faith. And so we push that aside and we say, now we're going to live by a new law. We're going to have to walk by the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a new law. But that's, that's, not, the intent, that's not Paul's intent here. Paul's intent is not to replace the Ten Commandments with the nine fruits. It's not a new commandment. There are nine manifestations of a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because it, it doesn't work if you say, well, I'm really good at kindness, but I suck at patience. Because if we're really good at kindness, but we suck at patience, we're probably being kind because of our personality or our will. But if you don't have a tendency to be patient, and you are patient, then that's probably a work of the Holy Spirit. And in all of these, in all of these, in this list, there are things that for some of us would come easy because of our temperament and our personality, and the other side of it would be difficult for us because of our temperament and personality. So what something has to happen where it's not based on our temperament and personality, but instead it's based on the power of God by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It is an ongoing surrendering of our will to Jesus Christ to recognize that I have to go beyond my tendencies into His strength. So how do we do that? Well, he said, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. I've crucified the flesh. Romans 6, 14, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lust. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you're not under law, but under grace. He's saying, consider yourselves dead to sin. It means stop giving your attention to I want and I feel and I need. 
Quit letting I want, I feel, and I need direct and control your life. Quit letting the desires of the flesh that I want and the I feel and I need so, so you ought to control your life. A lot of our problems dealing with sin come from the fact that we don't realize we're dead. When someone dies, we dress them up to try to look as alive as possible. We put them in a casket. And as lovingly as we can, we say goodbye to them. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. A lot of people will go to cemeteries tomorrow to honor those that have died in the service. National cemeteries will all have flags out. My dad's buried in a national cemetery here in Arlington. Not Arlington, Grand Prairie. And uh, I'm not going to go dig him up and say hi. Because he's dead. I love him. I love the memory of my father. I honor my father. But he's dead. So he's where... He needs to stay. So Paul uses this analogy to say to us, you're dead in Christ. Your old man was buried. When you got baptized, one of the things that it was showing is that your old man has been buried along with Christ, baptized into his death, raised into newness of life, that this powerful reality that you have now a new life in Christ, but the old man is dead. So he's saying, consider yourself dead. Live as if, live as if the flesh has no power. Has no rights. Has no authority. It's dying to self-control and living to the spirit, control of the Spirit of God. Instead of I want, it becomes, instead of I want, see, it becomes, Father, what do you want? Jesus said, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's, dying to the flesh is, is, is a continual submission of saying, yes, this is what I want, but God, what do you want? This is what I want. I know what I want. You have any trouble figuring out what you want? God, what do you want? God, what, what, do, what do I need to do in this situation? Not what I will, but you will. It's instead of I feel, because here's the thing about feelings. You truly feel your feelings, but feelings are deceptive. Your feelings are not truth. They are a truth, but they're not the truth. <laughs> you may truly feel them. Well, I don't feel like this is fair. It may not. It, so, all, so, so a dead person has to trade away their feelings. What does a dead person feel? Nothing. Instead of, it becomes, I believe. It's not what I feel that matters, it's what I believe that matters. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Well, I don't feel very forgiven. It doesn't matter how I feel. 
This was established a long time ago when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was forgiven. I am forgiven. I believe that I'm forgiven. I believe the price was paid. I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross was enough, and it is going to keep me through eternity. I believe that. I'm convinced of that. And even if I don't feel very good about it today, it doesn't matter because that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus loves me and died for my sins. I believe he's working for my good. That doesn't mean I like what's happening. You you say, well, I don't understand how God's working through this. And often we don't. It's just like in 1979, the Ayatollah Khomeini came in, in power in Iran. It's a horrible thing. And, and radical Islam began to have a, a breach throughout that, from that country began to spread. And, and the, the terrorism that we've been fighting really began in that 1979 Ayatollah Khomeini taking over Iran. When, when the Ayatollah Khomeini took over Iran in 1979, there were probably in Iran about 500 Christians. Today in Iran, there are over a million Christians. Without any, with virtually no outside help. And here we see horrible things happening. I mean, there are more people dying for their faith today because of radical Islam around the world. There are more people today dying for their faith than in any other time in history. And if they're not careful, they are going to unleash a revival and a revolution like they've never seen before. So even when I don't understand what God's doing, I, say, I, don't, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense to me. God's working for our good. I believe he's for me, not against me. You believe that? I believe that he is before me, that what is before me is better than what is behind me. I believe that I can't imagine what's before me. I, I believe that there's a thousand other things that can build up my faith for me to be thankful for. That I, that I can't let my fickle feelings that change with the whims and my mood and the amount of sugar I've had that day, I can't let, I can't let those things control, William, I can't let those things control my feelings. I have to build my reality on God and only God. I have to build my reality on God. I have to die in the flesh and build my reality not on what I feel, but what I believe. Then I need is swallowed up. I have to let I need what I need be swallowed up instead of what I want, instead of in the glory of God. So I got to stop. I'm not going to read this verse. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind. He said, you know, he said, all these things, all of, all of my achievements, everything, circumcised the eighth day, there it is again, of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrews of Hebrews, of the law of Pharisee, righteous. He said, I count that all as dung. I count it all as refuse for the excellency of knowing Christ. He said, this whole thing about this, this me, it's not me, it's him. And I found, he said, you know what? I found myself in him. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus alone. What do I need? What do I need? I don't need... When Paul was free of trying to impress people and only had to impress Jesus, he found freedom like he had never found before. We have to lay down of trying to 
please people and instead please God. And if you do that, you'll be better for people than you've ever been. <laughs> Amen? I got to quit. Okay, stand. Let's, let's stand. I want, I feel I need surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want, I feel I need. My, my flesh dead, rendered as dead, considered dead for, for the excellency of knowing Christ. Father, I say not my will, but your will. Not what I feel, but what I believe. Not what I need, but you fulfilling and meeting every need in my life. Your all I need. Father, in Jesus' name, help us consider the body, this flesh dead, and walk in the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. Have a great Memorial Day. Don't dig up anybody. <laughs>